morning. We're going to pray, and I was thinking maybe we should pray an extra amount of compassion on the U of I football fans. <clears throat> See, I don't know that God took sides, but it sure looked like it, didn't it? <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the opportunity to gather in this place of worship, to lift up our voices in praise. Lord, your glory does fill the earth. We acknowledge that. And Lord, we do want to bless your name, not only in the singing, but in the preaching, in our giving, and all that we do in our life. We want to bless your holy name. Now, thank you, Heavenly Father, that you love us so much. Help us to be cognizant of that love and love you back in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, happy Labor Day weekend. You know, in 1894, Congress passed a law that made the first Monday in September a legal holiday. And it seems kind of funny to me that we celebrate the day that's been set aside to honor work by not working. How many of you have to work tomorrow? Just a couple hands. By not working, we have cookouts, we have uh, Labor Day sales we go to, we may check out one of the new movies that's on uh, the, the theater, but we do not work. At some time or another, all of us in this place probably filled out a job application so we could be a part of the workforce. I found a few samples of real job applications that were posted in Fortune magazine. Let me give you a couple of those. I was working for my mom until she decided to move. Marital status, often. I have an excellent track record, although I'm not a horse. Don't get that one. Personal interest, donating blood. 14 gallons so far. Well, I'm going to worry about that guy. And finally, Reasons for leaving last job. They insisted that all the employees show up by 8.45 in the morning, and I just couldn't work under those circumstances. <laughs> yeah, I hope that one of these weren't on your job application that they lifted. I've got three questions this morning, and no hands, please. Number one, how many of you look forward to work on Monday mornings because you miss seeing your boss? Number two. How many of you miss your fellow workers so much you can hardly wait to get back after the weekend to find out what was going on in their life? And number three, do you really like your job? I have a favorite show that I TiVo. It's called The Office. Anybody seen it? Anybody watch it? Kind of dysfunctional, isn't it? It's a comedy about a paper distributing uh, company, Dunder Mifflin, and the supply uh, house in Scranton, Pennsylvania, the branch office. In a review of the show, the boss, Michael Scott, is described as harmlessly deluded and ignorantly insensitive. Now, I think that sums him up pretty well if you've seen the show. And there are other assorted characters and misfits who pass as employees who undermine, despise, and harass their fellow workers. I got to thinking, maybe this Emmy-winning show is so popular 
because many people can relate to the work environment portrayed in the office. In 2007, a research survey was conducted on job satisfaction in America. Here's the lead paragraph of the press release about that survey. Americans are growing increasingly unhappy with their jobs. The decline in job satisfaction has occurred over a period of two decades. Today, less than half of all Americans say they're satisfied with their jobs. 20 years ago, it was 61%. The study also investigated the reasons why employees have such low job satisfaction. And contrary to what I would have thought, it's not insensitive bosses like Michael Scott or obnoxious co-workers like they find in the office. That, that's not the things that they dislike most about their jobs. It turns out that what workers are least satisfied with are their wages, bonuses, promotions, and time off. You see, a job satisfaction in America is no longer defined by whether or not I did a good job and I'm proud of what I did on that day. Job satisfaction is now defined in America by what do I get. In other words, show me the money and show me the perks. Well, how about you? Do you think about the money? Do you spend time comparing your salary or your hourly wage to what the person in the, in the office is making beside you? Do you dwell on the amount of your bonus or the length of your vacation? How much time do you spend thinking about those things? Well, maybe you're one that's not thinking about those particular things. You're thinking about what you would do if you're caught sleeping at your desk. So here's a few excuses I found. Feel free to use them. They told me at the blood bank that might happen. Now remember, you're asleep. Phew! I guess I left the top off the whiteout. It's a good thing you got here just in time. I was testing my keyboard for drool resistance. Some of us older folks know what that means. And finally, here's one we can all use. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> Feel free to use any or all. When our sole focus with our jobs is on the money and the rewards, it's usually the result of one or two things. Number one, our work may not have been chosen according to God's purposes for our life. In other words, maybe the work that you are presently doing is not a match of the gifts and abilities that God has given you. If you're unhappy with your job, if you feel you're in a dead-end situation, then ask yourself, have I truly been called to the work I am doing? You can also ask this, is this God's place for me at this time in my life? Or did I choose this job based upon its availability, based upon the money, or based upon the perks, the benefits? There's a subtle tendency among Christians 
to view pastoral work and missionary work as the only settings to which a person is, quote, called. And friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, this is not correct. God's call is much more extensive than that. And work brings frustration to us. When we begin to divide it and say there are two categories, there's secular work and then there's sacred work. The biblical view of work is this. All work that is good for the community and helps people and makes the world a better place to live is blessed of God. Peter writes, But you are a chosen people, royal priest, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were chosen to tell about the wonderful acts of God who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter is saying that whether we are a teacher, a truck driver, an engineer, a salesperson, a business owner, a pastor, a missionary, or whatever, we are all part of the priesthood of God. We become part of this priesthood through our relationship with Jesus Christ, who's called us out of sin into the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. Yes, some are called to be pastors, some are called to be missionaries, but all others are also called to their work based on the gifts and abilities God has put within them. I like this quote. If you want to find satisfaction in your work, view your job as a calling and not just a career. When our focus with our work is only on the money and the perks, it may be that our work is not what God's purpose is for our life. It could also be that we may be looking at our work as a way to measure our value, our worth. What's one of the first things someone will ask when they meet a new person? What do you do? What do you do for a living? And based on the answer to that question, the questioner is able to mentally kind of size up the person according to the value or worth that's been given to that particular job title. For instance, what do you do? I'm a heart surgeon. What do you do? I'm a car salesman. What do you do? I'm a bus driver. What do you do? I'm an attorney. What do you do? I'm a carpenter. I think you get the picture. But remember this, my friends. Our work does not define our worth. Our worth is found in knowing that we are loved and cherished by the creator of the universe and that he has made a way for us to have a relationship with him for time and eternity through the sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Though our work does not define our worth, work does have intrinsic value. And there are at least two reasons for this. Number one, God is a worker. 
Most of us don't view God this way, but that's how he first reveals himself in Scripture. In the beginning, way back, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. You can't go any further back in the Bible, forward in the Bible. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you flip over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it calls the activity that God did here work. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing, so he rested from all his what? Work. And God didn't just stop there, because in Psalm 111, verse 2, it declares, Great are the works of the Lord. The Lord is always working on this earth, always working in our lives. Work also has intrinsic value because we are God's co-workers. Not only is God a worker, but we are workers as well. Genesis 2.15 states, The Lord God put the man in the Garden of Eden to care for it, and work it. The work of caring for the Garden of Eden was given to Adam before his disobedience and fall into sin. God planted the garden, the trees, the flowers, the vegetables. Through the process of creation, God put it all there for him. And then Adam was to cultivate it and work it and also enjoy it. I don't think he broke a sweat in all he had to do. It wasn't work like we think of work today. And this was a picture of a partnership that continues today. God gives to us through numerous ways. And then we have to manage what's been given to us by him. We refer to this as stewardship. Tragically, with the entrance of sin in Genesis chapter 3, this partnership with God and people was distorted. Adam and Eve became self-centered with a desire to take instead of give and a desire to dominate instead of serve. In addition, because of their sin, God tells them and us today also that work would now be required to sustain life. In Genesis chapter 3, we read, Then God said to the man, You listened to what your wife said, and you ate fruit from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat. So I will put a curse on the ground, and you will have to work very hard for your food. What we must realize on this Labor Day weekend is that even though our work can be hard and challenging, we're designed to work in partnership with God and not just for ourselves. Someone once said, hard work never killed anyone, but why take the chance? You know anybody like that? Excuse me, I'm dry up here. The book of Proverbs, Pastor Damon taught on that last year. Great scriptures in there, great teaching in there about work and about just life. And I, there's a verse in the Proverbs that I really like. Here it is. 
Those who work hard make a profit, but those who only talk will be poor. See, I agree that hard work never killed anybody. I've done a lot of hard work in my life, and many of you have too. And I also believe that hard work won't put you in prison. I came across this uh, list, a, a comparison between work and prison. And uh, I think you'll enjoy this. Let me give you a few. In prison, you spend the majority of your time in an 8 by 10 cell. At work, you spend the majority of your time in a 6 by 8 cubicle. In prison, you get time off for good behavior. At work, you get more work for good behavior. In prison, you can watch TV and play games. At work, you get fired for watching TV and playing games. In prison, you must deal with sadistic wardens. At work, they're called managers. Now, you know, it sounds like prison, not too bad. <laughs> you know, when we look at our work, we're often asking the wrong questions. Questions such as, what can my job do for me? Or how can my job give me status and worth in the community? Or maybe, how can I use this job to achieve all my dreams for success? Let me encourage you this morning to ask the right questions in regards to your work. Questions such as, what's God's intention for my job? Or what's God trying to accomplish in my life through my job? Let me try and help you answer these questions. First of all, I believe it's God's number one desire is for us to be transformed by our job. Wherever you will be on Tuesday morning, God's desire is that you be transformed by your work. John Ruskin, a 19th century philosopher, said the highest reward for a person's work is not what they get for it, but what they become because of it. You see, friends, God wants to build our character and our integrity by allowing us to experience a variety of circumstances with a variety of people, whether they act like the cast of the office or they act like Mother Teresa. God wants to see you and me mature and grow spiritually. In fact, Paul in Romans chapter 8 Verse 29, he talks about us being molded into the image of Christ, just like someone on a piece of clay on a potter's wheel, so to speak. And the Amplified Bible refers to this as sharing inwardly his likeness. God wants to do a work on the inside of us. He wants to make each of us more like his son Jesus within our spirits. And what better opportunity, that eight to ten hours a day that we work, what better opportunity for this to happen to put you and me in the workplace where we're going to rub shoulders with lots of different kinds of people. There are some obnoxious people out there. I'll get it right, obnoxious people. Rude people, insensitive people, competitive people self-serving, and lazy people in the workplace. And there are a few good ones too, but... 
You've probably heard of the program Take Your Child to Work Day. A man took his six-year-old daughter to his work, and throughout the day she was just so excited to get to meet the, his fellow workers and go to the snack machine and, and get the snicker bar and all that good stuff. And as they were driving home, he asked her, he said, Dear, uh, what would you think of the day? And she kind of hung her head and said, Oh, it was okay, Dad. And he coaxed her to more, some more to, to get some more out of her. And she said, she explained she thought it would be more like a circus. Her dad seemed puzzled. And he, he said, what do you mean? And she said, well, Daddy, you always told me you worked with a bunch of clowns and I never got to see any of them. <laughs> so watch what you say around your kids. There's a second thing that God wants to do through our job. Besides transforming you and transforming me. He wants to transform your workplace into a mission field. Almost every day, we come into contact with people that need encouragement, that need support, that need a listening ear. And maybe more so now in 2009 than ever before. And most of these people also need a connection with God. They need the reconciliation that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians. He says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The word reconciliation there means to restore to friendship. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that God calls me a friend through the reconciliation that's taken place in my life because of Jesus Christ. And Paul said we've been given that same message to help others know that wonderful news that God wants to be their friend. You may be the closest thing that some person will ever have to hearing and seeing who Jesus Christ really is. You alone, as a follower of Christ, have that wonderful message of reconciliation in your heart. We have the privilege, we have the authority, and we have the responsibility as followers of Christ to arrive at our workplace and say in our hearts, Lord, I'm here as your representative. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus told us to go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Going to work is part of going everywhere. The people at your workplace probably don't uh, get a hold of you on Monday morning and, and ask you, what was the message like at Faith Fellowship yesterday? It'd probably be rare. Or they don't ask you to explain the Romans Road plan of salvation or the four spiritual laws. In fact, they may be hostile toward Christianity and hostile toward you because you say that you are a follower of Christ. Let me encourage you, don't let that scare you. Don't let that intimidate you. Do two things. Continue 
to live for Jesus Christ and two, earn the right to share the good news of the gospel with that person whenever God gives you the opportunity. And one of the most fundamental steps for us toward earning the right is to model a biblical work ethic. That was touched on briefly last week by Pastor Talkington. See, the people where you work are watching what you do before they put much confidence in what you say. I went to a church once and the pastor told the people in the church, if you're not living for Jesus Christ in the workplace, in the shopping place, in the recreation place, don't tell them you tend our church. I think that's good advice for all of us. Don't tell them you're a follower of Christ. They're watching how you and I respond under stress. They're watching to see how we treat and relate to other people. They're just flat out watching how you do your job. I once heard we need to excel in three ways in the workplace. There are three ways we as followers of Christ need to make sure that we can check off every day, every week. Number one is enthusiasm. And the Greek origin of that word, and I'm no Greek scholar, but I don't, and I don't throw this out often, but the Greek origin for the word enthusiasm means God in us. That blew me away. In his book, Over the Top, Christian motivational speaker Ziegler asked if you've ever noticed how hard you work before a vacation. He says most people will do triple the amount of work to get everything done and off their desk and all the assignments cleared before they leave. Now Ziegler turns us around to an interesting concept. He says if people who work consistently as if they're about to go on the vacation would work like that every day, they'd probably never be without a job. He said even if their company would downsize and they would lose that job, Word would get out about their enthusiastic working, and they would get another job. Not only should we excel in enthusiasm in the workplace, we should excel in expectation. As we work with the knowledge that we are God's representatives in the workplace, we will always strive to do more than is expected. In the early 1900s, a pharmacist bought a small drugstore on the south side of Chicago. And he began to think, how can I make my store a better store, get more customers? It was about the time when people were using the telephone to call in their orders. And so he got this idea to challenge himself to see how quickly he could fill the phone order and get it to the person's house. So when a customer would call, He would take the phone, he would repeat everything real loud because he had an assistant sitting beside him who would hear the name and what was wanted. The assistant would fill the order, give it to a young man that got on his bicycle and drove it to the customer's house. All the time the pharmacist was on the phone, how's the weather, how's your kid, blah, 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 and bang, bang, bang on the front door, there's the order arriving. Now most of the customers, granted, live within just a few blocks of the store. But this kind of service in that day and age was revolutionary. 
And as word spread across Chicago, that became the busiest pharmacy in the city. And within a few years, Charles Walgreen had revolutionized the pharmacy industry. Because he decided to go beyond the customer's expectation. As followers of Christ, we should excel in enthusiasm at the workplace. We should excel in expectation. And thirdly, we should excel in ethics. As God's representative in the workplace, we should make every effort to do our jobs with honesty and integrity. I read about a young boy named Jimmy. He was a high school student. He worked after uh, school in a small grocery store in his town. He was in the store one day, and a man came in and bought some fruit. And as they were checking out, the man said, Hey, Jimmy, throw some extra fruit in there for free for me, will you please? Jimmy said, I can't do that. The boss wouldn't approve. The customer said, Well, the boss isn't in. Jimmy said, Yes, he's in. He's always in for me. You see, I am a Christian. Here's a sad piece of news. George Gallup, the pollster, found there's no difference between those who attend church on Sunday morning and those who don't when it comes to lying, stealing, and loafing at work. Ouch! This may mean, friends, that Christians might be acting religious putting their hands up and loving the Lord on Sunday morning, but acting like everyone else during the week at the workplace. So what about you? What about me? Who are we at work when no one is watching us? St. Francis of Assisi said, Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. I think that advice is appropriate for us at the workplace. There's a time to speak about our faith in Jesus Christ. But it's usually after our actions have prepared the way for the message to be heard. Remember what the pastor said. Don't tell him you're a Christian unless you're living like a Christian. In his book, uh, Lifestyle Evangelism, the author said, Christians are to be good news before they share good news. Friends, whether you want to accept it or not, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, your workplace is a mission field. And whether you realize it or not, if it's a mission field, you are a missionary. Calvary Baptist up on Washington Avenue, as you go out their driveway... On the west side, have a sign that says, you're now entering the mission field. I like that. I like that. Friends, we are missionaries to the workplace. And I want to pray this morning. This is not the end of the message, but I want to pray, if you'll allow me to do so. If you understand what I'm saying to you and what God is saying to us, that we are missionaries in the workplace, I would like you just to close your eyes. And I would like you to visualize the entrance, the door, the gate, whatever you, however you access your workplace. 
whether it's a factory, an industrial complex, a small office, a, a large office, whether it's the school system. But just visualize in your mind's eye going to work on Tuesday morning. And I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, as we visualize how we enter into our workplace, help us to understand that you have called us to be missionaries to the mission field of our workplace. Lord, you have given us the ministry of reconciliation that others might know that they can also have peace with God and be a friend with God. Give us the opportunity to just tell them what God has done in our life and how he's been so good to us. Lord, show us how we can excel in enthusiasm and ethics. Lord, show us how to rightly represent Jesus Christ in our workplace whether it's hard there or whether it's easy there, whether we own the business or whether we're the lowest person on the, the, the flow chart. Help us, Heavenly Father, to represent you that others might know and others might come to faith. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, tomorrow's Labor Day. And I don't know what the weather's going to be like and... Uh, that, that's okay. You're going to have the day off. And I want you to have fun. And I hope you do have fun around the grill, uh, shopping, movies, whatever you do. Just kicking back and enjoying yourself. Enjoy the day with your family and friends. But remember this. God has a calling on each of our lives. You are called. And you young people, God's going to call you. If he hasn't called you and given you a witness in your spirit what you should do, he will call you. Every child out there has a calling deep within their life. And parents, you should help your children understand that a calling of God not necessarily mean to be a preacher or a missionary worker, but it could be anything as long as it's work that honors God and helps people. We have a calling. Number two, remember that God wants to transform us. And make us like his son through our work. And then he wants us to see that the mission field where we work, he wants us to see it as he sees it. If only we could get this. A place where people he died for are in need of a savior. To forgive them. And reconcile them to the love of our heavenly father. You know, I believe if God would help us get this deep within our heart, that we could leave our jobs each day with a spring in our step and a song in our heart, just the way some fellows did in 1937 in the Walt Disney classic, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Watch this. <laughs> 